Well, good morning and welcome. Um, special greetings to those joining us at uh, Highland Park and Crossroads and upstairs at the 01. Uh, happy holiday weekend. Happy September. Uh, it's go time. Like it or not, ready or not, this weekend sort of marks that uh, division in the calendar. For me, this feels a whole lot more like the start of a new year than uh, January does. And so thought it would be appropriate as we start a new year, as we start a new series, to frame it in light of uh, where we will be at the end of this year. And the question is, will you be in a better spot at the end of this year? And what would that even mean? Like, how will you know? How do you win during the course of the year? What does winning look like? What are we after? What's the goal? Is, does it mean to, to be happier, uh, to have more money, uh, greater inner peace? Uh, is it the corner office, uh, lower golf handicap? I mean, what is the goal in life? What is it that we are trying to get? About 10 years ago, um, we learned that uh, a certain golfer's life didn't look like maybe what we thought it was. So Tiger, not yet 40, had won 14 majors, amassed a net worth of $700 million, has a beautiful family, he's just an intelligent guy. Uh, it looked like he was winning in a big way, but then we discovered that not everything was as it appeared to be. So the question I would ask is, was he winning is he winning now? Read uh, an article about six months ago about John Elway. So John Elway famously won two Super Bowl rings as a quarterback. Stellar player, Hall of Fame for certain. And then uh, he retires, he sells his business interests for $100 million, and he becomes the general manager, the vice president of football operations for the Broncos. And he starts winning Super Bowl rings as the GM. And uh, he has, as a, as a GM, he has a higher winning percentage. The Broncos have a higher winning percentage than any other football team uh, since he took over, including the New England Patriots. So he is winning. But this article said that it's not unusual for Elway to show up in the office at 2 in the morning because losing is absolutely unthinkable. And, and the drive is so great that he has, he just has to keep working at this. And he is also, uh, quite fearful that he's going to get fired. Now, I gotta think, if anybody has job security, it's John Elway in Denver, right? But, but this drives him. So the question becomes, so is that winning or not? Uh, as a pastor, I sometimes get the backstory in people's lives. A guy came in a while ago, and uh, his wife was with him, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm here because I can't sleep. I said, okay, well, um, I'm not a doctor, so I'm guessing you're here seeing me because you're feeling guilty or you're feeling anxious. And he says, I'm anxious. He says, it used to be I couldn't sleep because I didn't have any money. I was worried I couldn't, I couldn't provide for my family. He says, I now have a lot of money, but I'm worried I'm going to lose it, and I can't sleep. 
Okay? So on the outside, that looks like, certainly if, if you looked at this guy's life, you'd think that's winning, but then maybe not. I went to um, college with a guy who was a year older than I was. We didn't spend a lot of time together, but, but he was, he's the guy that you sort of knew about because everything he did, he seemed to set the curve. And he, and he gets out of school, he goes to Harvard Law School and, and uh, comes out of uh, after three years and takes a job uh, in a, a sort of a lobbyist. And now he's moving in the, you know, in the corridors of D.C., a big, uh, big pharma lobbyist. And I'd read about him every once in a while, and he was, you know, always up and to the right, and I'd bump into him occasionally here or there. And then I ran into him at a reunion uh, not too long ago. He married a, a woman from my class. And uh, I discovered that he, uh, about 10 years ago, he quit all that, and he now works as a bike mechanic. Not a motorcycle mechanic, like a bike mechanic. And I thought, okay, wow, well, probably not a lot of Harvard Law grads working as bike mechanics on Schwinn bikes. And we talked a little bit, and he said, uh, oh, yeah, no, I hated my life. Uh, I love being a bike mechanic. I don't make much money, but I love being a bike mechanic. Okay, so is that winning? Like, how do, how do we figure out what winning looks like? Is the goal to be happy? Is the goal to be in great relationships? Is the goal to live a noble life? Is What are we after? C.S. Lewis famously said that uh, there are three requirements for a ship in a fleet. Number one, don't run into any of the other ships. And we've had some challenges with that uh, recently, but don't run into other ships. Number two, don't sink, right? Don't take on water. Don't break down. Number three, don't get lost. So these correspond, Lewis said, to the uh, ways that we can mess up our life. We can run into other people, right? We can have conflict. Or we can somehow break down, whatever that means. Or we can not get where we're supposed to get, right? We can be lost. And, and this series sort of unpacks that last one. What is the goal? What does it mean to be where we're supposed to be? What does that look like? And we're looking to the writings of uh, Solomon. So 3,000 years ago, the, the son of King David, King Solomon, at the end of his life writes this very uh, quirky book. It's been a bit of an enigma to me for a long time because uh, he's pretty, he seems pretty sort of mad and cynical. And he says, nothing matters. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all vapor. You can't, get your, you can't get your hands around it. There doesn't seem to be any substance to this. And it's a book that, um, that has eluded me for a while, but uh, it's a book in which he sets out to answer the question, what is the goal? How do I win? What is, what is this supposed to look like? And, uh, and a while ago, it all sort of came together for me when somebody explained that there were two things that you have to know to crack the code on the book of Ecclesiastes. Number one, Solomon um, is playing a unique role. So uh, in, in the King James Version, Solomon is referred to as the, uh, as the preacher. Uh, in other translations, he's referred to as the teacher. 
So there's two voices in, in Ecclesiastes. There's a narrator and then there's, there's Solomon. And Solomon is the teacher. He's the preacher. Uh, the paraphrase from Eugene Peterson calls him the quester, which is a word I think he just made up. And, uh, and in some modern translations, they just, they've stopped translating the word. In Hebrew, it's koheleth. And they just say, uh, Koheleth says this. Okay? And the reason they stopped translating it is because it's just very hard to capture the nuance of, of what this word means. And, and I've come to understand that it's probably best to think of him as a philosophy professor. And it's a philosophy professor who's giving a particular kind of exam. Uh, he's using the Socratic method to sort of pull out of you uh, these answers and to force you to force us to face the logical conclusions of the worldviews that we have held on to. And he preemptively, in doing this, is shutting them down. So he's asking, in essence, what is the meaning of life? What is the goal? How do you win? By the way, don't say it's to be a good person. Don't say it's to have a lot of fun. And don't say it's to be courageous even though we can't figure out what it means. Because I tried all three of those and they don't work. And I tried them in ways you can't try them. Because he was the king, right? So he had power. I mean, David left him. He had expanded the borders, he'd filled the treasury, he'd wiped out the enemies. So Solomon is king of the superpower of the world with no enemies and lots of money. And Solomon is wise. Uh, he, got the, he got the wish that you all, at least I wished for when I was a kid, like, and that was to be given any wish. God would say, okay, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon had said, well, uh, I, I want to be wise. I, I need to be wise in order to rule your people. And so he has legendary wisdom. People come from all over. The Queen of Sheba, a real person, the Queen of Sheba, travels to uh, Israel to meet uh, Solomon because he is so wise. She's heard about his legendary insight. So he's got power and money. He's got uh, insight and he's got all the pleasures of being king, right? So he has, he has all the wine, all the food. He has 700 wives, 300 mistresses. So when he heads down the pleasure path, he says, look, I can explore these worldviews at levels that you can't. <laughs> and I explored them. And I'm telling you, the answer is not any of these three. So you have to understand Solomon is playing the role of a philosophy professor and late in life, he sort of reflects on these and he frames the question, what is winning? What does it look like? How do you do it? The second thing you have to understand for this book to make sense is that the refrain under the sun, which is a common refrain in the book, nothing new under the sun, nothing new under the sun, uh, that refrain has a particular context. It means life without God. And if, if there is no God, then we live under the sun, right? And nothing is new and nothing ultimately works. Uh, and and there's, it's vapor, it's vanity, it's smoke. I can't, I can't wrestle it down. If, if, the, if the context of making sense of life is under the sun, it's not going to work. So with that as backdrop, 
Then you come at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and a couple things jump out at you right away. He goes after the three most common worldviews over time. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the terms we use for them today. They're not used by Solomon. But the first one is humanism. And humanism basically says, uh, you know what, I'm going to make my mark. I'm going to die, but I'm going to make my mark by being a good person. I want to leave the world a better place than I found it. And if I do that, then I will have done something noble. And uh, indeed, it, there's, there's value in that. And if, if we leave the world a better place, if we do good things, they'll say kind things about us at our funeral. Uh, but Solomon is, goes on record right away uh, in verse 11 and says, yeah, doesn't really work. Uh, they're not going to say nice things about you when you're gone because they're not going to think about you when you're gone, right? Uh, he, he says, uh, look, uh, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to come. So you might remember in uh, Les Miserables, if you, if you saw the, the, uh, the, the musical, that just before the revolution, so there's these young, um, young students, idealistic, and they want to launch a revolution. They want to liberate the people, and, and they're, they're going to do this for the common good and justice. And uh, so they're rallying. Uh, there's, there's some leaders that are trying to rally everybody and get them together. Uh, and they're in, a, they're in a bar, and the next day they're going to battle, and we're going to fight, and we're going you know, to prevail. And one of the young, one of the young students says, uh, I have a question. W- will anybody remember me when I fall? Will anyone remember me at all? Right? And Solomon, and you have to understand this about the, the, the style of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is brutal. So Solomon does not suffer fools. Solomon rubs our noses in the logical conclusions of our, of our views. Solomon says, no, no one's going to remember you, right? Your girlfriend will cry for a couple days, and then she'll find somebody else and marry them. And, uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. And, you know, in the rest of the book, this gets unpacked a little bit. But you can say, do you remember and think a lot about your great-grandparents? Probably not. That's sort of not the way life happens. You can, you can try and be remembered. You can give a lot of money to, uh, to your alma mater and they'll put, uh, you know, they'll name something after you, put a plaque on the wall. I, I worked when I was out on the West Coast. A business guy came to me and said, I've got this building. Let's work together. You network all these ministries and make, make something of this space. I'm going to let you do that. And so brought in a soup kitchen and brought in a teen runaway shelter and brought in the offices of Young Life and we brought uh, five other ministries and we worked on this over the course of a year and we remodeled, we put it all up and we have a groundbreaking or a a, a grand opening and uh, when I walk in there to do the final look around, there's there's a plaque that he has put up and it has his name and it has my name on the plaque and I'm like, wow, I didn't, didn't see that coming, uh, 
when I was back there most recently, uh, the plaque is down, down, and they have plans to, apparently to turn it into a bowling alley. <laughs> right? So, so uh, there is no, uh, you know, you're just, it's, that's not the way this plays out. And I heard, uh, I, I heard somebody arguing sort of Solomon's rationale on this and just going right after humanism uh, at its essence, going right after this idea that if I live a good life, Right, that gives my life meaning. And this person said, the question that is, that is ultimately posed to, uh, and, and, and this was his argument, the, the real question that is posed to those advocating that we uh, adjust our life significantly in light of climate change is not can we stop environmental degradation or avoid nuclear holocaust. The real question is, does my life have any meaning at all that death isn't going to undo. And, and so this guy said, look, uh, arguing that we've got to fix these things in light of the big picture is a lot like the guy, uh, the captain of the Titanic, running out onto the deck after it's already hit the iceberg and is sinking and saying, we got a real problem because in just a couple minutes, the boiler's going to blow and it's going to, help, it's going to lead us to sink probably 30 seconds faster. we got to stop the boiler from exploding. And everybody's like... Really? Do you not understand we're about to die here anyway? So Solomon comes at this idea that my life will have meaning if I do good things by saying, not really. Now, you can say that he's wrong. Many people try to. And say, well, yes, okay, so right, the sun's going to run out of hydrogen in Three billion years, so we're all going to die at that point anyway. But that's a long time away. My life can have a lot of meaning right now. And if you argue that, then you fall into one of two other common approaches. The first one would be hedonism. So capital H hedonism says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So, you know, go to Cancun on spring break and, uh, and, and live it up. Be wild, sleep around, drink until you're, 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 you pass out. Embrace the wildlife, as much pleasure as you can find. That's capital H hedonism. Small H hedonism is sort of the stuff you get in Woody Allen movies. He's always got a character that, that towards the end has got some speech where he says, look, we're overthinking this. We just, we just have to, we just have to, we can't think too much about it. So, so life is about, you know, taking a, a boat ride and, and watching a sunset and, and writing a poem. And we just can't overthink this because if we overthink this, and he's sort of the example of the guy that's overthinking it. And you realize there is no meaning at all. So we just have to find ways to be happy while we can. So that's small h, hedonism. So uh, one of the things that Solomon says is, look, I set out to explore hedonism. I decided I would deny myself nothing that I wanted. Anything my eyes delighted in, I took it. Anything my ears delighted in, I went after. I was going to deny myself nothing. He says, this too is vanity. (laughs) It doesn't work. Now, We know it doesn't work, not just because of Solomon. We know it doesn't work because the Greek philosophers that were hedonists eventually came to the conclusion that it didn't work. First of all, if you decide to live a wild life, to drink till you pass out, have lots of random sex, and and, uh, and overeat, um, 
you know, that doesn't, you don't do that for very long before life breaks, right? It's just not working. But outside of that, what the, uh, what the hedonists came to understand was you could, you could sort of never head down the pleasure path in a way that ultimately led you to be happy because of what they called uh, the hedonism paradox or sometimes it's referred to as the hedonic treadmill. So what makes us happy today, right, I'll be happy if I get that new car. I'll be happy if I, I got that job. I'll be happy if, you know, I, I, I got married to this person. I'd be happy if this happened. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe for a day or two, but then you go, what I really want is this other car. Then I'd be happy. What I really want is this other job, right? I mean, we just keep, we, it just, that's the way we're wired. We're just not ultimately going to say, I have everything that I want and I'm perfectly, perfectly content, right? So the hedonism paradox undoes us and Solomon uh, points out that it undoes us. So that leads us to the third option that we have. And that is, uh, that is existentialism. And I know you didn't sign up for a philosophy lecture, so I'm not going to go there too much other than to say that existentialism is, is sort of the idea that says, um, life doesn't have meaning, but I'm going to act like it does. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to do the right thing in, in spite of it. So existentialism, um, Solomon says, I decided to know wisdom and madness, right, which is sort of existentialism. Uh, it becomes a big thing in the 20th century with all these authors that you were probably assigned to read in high school or college but didn't read, Camus and Sartre and others. And some of you were old enough perhaps to remember uh, Man of La Mancha, which uh, Peter O'Toole, The Dream, The Impossible Dream, and Sophia Loren. And it was a movie made off of a play that was basically based on the book written by uh, Miguel de Cervantes back in the 17th century, Don Quixote. Don Quixote is his book about this guy, this old coot who is going around. Uh, he's, he's, he's discovered sort of that, uh, you know, there are no uh, dragons and that there are no knights and that their, their chivalry is dead and none of this stuff actually happens. But he's going to act like it's, it's the way to go. He's going to be noble. He's going to defend the honor of this noble woman who happens to be a prostitute. He's going to pretend that she's a noble woman. And he goes and he, and he wrestles. He tries to fight against windmills, right? And so the question is, is he insane or is he perhaps the only sane one because life has no meaning, right? I mean, if, 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 if you say life has no meaning, then how do you decide that being courageous is the right thing to do, right? It, it, these things all break down, and Solomon spends some effort uh, ripping them apart. So, um, my guess is that if Solomon were writing today, he would probably add a fourth sort of approach to life that uh, we've made common, and that is to say, I don't really have uh, a worldview. I haven't really thought this out, but I really, really move fast and I try and do everything I can possibly do. And uh, I think he would sort of un, un, undo that one for us as well. But let's just recognize that uh, Solomon says, I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to figure out whether or not life has meaning. 
And I'm going to tell you that uh, trying to be a good person ultimately is going to break down. Eat, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die doesn't actually carry you very far. And, uh, and, and trying to be courageous in a world that doesn't make sense is not going to work. So it appears, I mean, you're, you're down to the last paragraph, and it appears as though the answer to this all is, it doesn't make sense, right? That's, that's sort of where you're coming to, like, okay, uh, apparently, Solomon... Uh, in all your wisdom, you've decided that it doesn't make sense. But then at the last minute, he pivots. I, I saw an interview 30 years ago with a novelist uh, who was trying to write a book like Ecclesiastes. It was a novel. It was Mickey Spillane, and he wrote a bunch of Mike Hammer detective stories. And he wanted to write a story where it didn't make sense until you read the last word. And that's sort of what Solomon does. So let me read the last two sentences of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter then, all has been heard, is this, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So in the end, he says, if you live under the sun, right, if you think that this is all there is, then ultimately it's impossible to win because any approach you buy into is going to be undone. You cannot think about it. <laughs> you can act like it's not true. You can try and drink yourself into oblivion so you don't have to face it, but it isn't going to work. The answer then is further developed, not just at the end of Ecclesiastes, but in the Gospel of John. So let me just hit pause for a second and, and, and tell you a story. I want you to imagine that uh, a friend of yours, uh, lo- looking at their cell phone, is suddenly excited and they say, Oh, finally! Amazon Prime has just announced that my package has arrived. I have, have got the greatest, latest European popcorn maker on the planet. I'm going to have the best popcorn tonight ever. It cost me $250 for this popcorn maker. It has arrived. I'm going to have great popcorn tonight. You're like, okay, wow, $250 for a popcorn maker. Great. Uh, anxious to hear about this. And so the next day he shows up and says, uh, uh, I am so disappointed. That popcorn maker burned all the popcorn. It doesn't make very much, and it burns everything that it makes. And over the course of the next week, you just keep hearing this. I've tried every different thing I can try. This popcorn maker is the biggest piece of junk I have ever seen, right? So you eventually end up over at his house, and you look, and he says, this is this piece of junk popcorn maker. And you look at it, and you go, well, that's an espresso machine. That's not a popcorn maker. Of course it's not going to make good popcorn. It's not designed to make popcorn. So the Greek philosophers would say, you misunderstand the logos of this machine. In order to understand its purpose, its logos, its logic, in order to use it right, you have to understand its purpose, its logic, its logos. So that's the word. When we move from the book of Ecclesiastes, 1000 B.C., to the Gospel of John, right? In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon ends by saying, fear God, live 
live in light of God, live in light of eternity, that's what's going to give your life meaning, then John comes on the scene and he continues to speak in a philosophical way. So Ecclesiastes, Solomon's being very philosophical. John is very philosophical. That's who he writes for. He writes for the Greek philosophers. Matthew writes for the Jews. Uh, Mark writes mostly for the Romans. Luke writes for the Gentiles. John writes for the Greek philosophers. And he and, and the opening line here is sort of thunder from a blue sky because for a thousand years now, philosophers have given up on the hope that they're going to figure out what the logos for man is. They're trying to figure out, like, how do you live a good life? And, and they say that's based on understanding our purpose, understanding what we were designed for. But the challenge is, no one could figure it out. And the Greek philosophers, it's a failed project. Philosophers can't agree on anything. It's a failed discipline, ultimately, because they can't get to the commonplace. And so the philosophers have given up. We can't figure this out. And then John comes onto the scene and he says, in the beginning was the logos, the purpose, right? The missing piece. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's saying, you want to understand life? You want to figure out how to win? It comes under God in a relationship with his son. So, this series, the next four weeks, is based on the idea that the way to win is to have a relationship with God. That is what we were made for. We were made by God and for God, and we cannot win if we operate outside of that per, those parameters. This series is based on the idea that the way to win is to live today not, quote-unquote, under the sun. If all we're looking at is the, is the life we have on this planet, right, and it's going to end when we die, then we cannot ultimately figure out how to win. Death is going to erase a lot. But if we live after we die, <laughs> right, and that's, that's part of Solomon's message here, right, Everything is vanity under the sun. Everything is smoke and mirrors under the sun. I cannot get my hands around it if I'm living under the sun. But if we live in a relationship with God, we live forever. And the third thing that this series is based on is that we experience God, we come into a relationship with God through his son, the Logos, the Word. Now, I understand that some of you may not buy that. Uh, you were invited here today, and, and you showed up, and you say, well, okay, Woodruff, but you haven't, you actually haven't proven anything, right? You know, and, and I, am, I, I understand that, and I'm also very sympathetic to that. Let me just say, I, I, have, I found faith very challenging. Like, coming to faith... And, and trusting that this was the way forward, it seemed like the people that I was around were, were in and it was easy. And it was like, this isn't easy for me. Like, how do I know this? How do you know this? Really, how do you know this for sure? And it took me 18 to 24 months of circling the airport before I could figure out how to land the plane. And, and eventually, uh, I, I landed the plane in part because I, the Christian faith began to make sense to me 
It held up. The more I pushed on it, the more I looked at Jesus, the better it got. But also because by looking at everything else through the lens of Jesus, everything else started to make sense. And I didn't get all my questions answered. You're not going to get all your questions answered. But uh, I really believe that Solomon undoes any other philosophy that we have, any other approach, any other worldview. He's not very kind about it. Again, he rubs our noses in it. He, he forces us to see the logical conclusions of our worldview. And I believe that life with God is, in fact, the way forward. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to continue to unpack what that would look like. Next week, we're going to look at what it would look like, what it does look like to love God. How do we do that? What is that like? So, this series, it's a, it, we do this in the fall. We have a number of, of we have a number of on ramps for you. So, weekend services, uh, also small groups. You heard about that? A chance to sit with other people and ask questions and sort of push on this and 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 unpack these whole ideas. It's very helpful to process things out loud with other people. There's daily readings, uh, devotions that are based on the sermon. So we've written these in-house. So they come up every morning on your, if you sign up, then you will get a, a daily reading that sort of ties in with this. There's also, we also offer what we call spiritual check-ins. So if you want to sit with somebody for a, about an hour-long confidential exploration of your life and where you're at and what you've tried spiritually and what's working and what you might do next, right? Those are always offered. You can sign up for all that stuff. You saw a text number or you can sign up online or you can download the app or you can call the office. You can figure out. We want to help you discover life with God. And I would argue that we need to ask these questions. We need, uh, we need to push forward because Many people have a worldview that doesn't ultimately work, but you can. There is life with God. God loves you. God is for you. There is life with God, and the next step is yours. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that we would all be able to see more clearly the uh, the the un spoken assumptions of our views and the, um, the conclusions of our views. And I also pray, Lord God, that uh, you would meet with people today. Not that we just know about you or know information, but that we would know you uh, in a way that changes our heart and brings clarity and peace and perspective, helps us figure out what it looks like uh, to live a life that works and to win. Guide us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.